late 70s and early uh. 80s, the boom years of the video game industry. Thank you. And my game system was the Magnavox Odyssey 2. Yeah. Sleek, stylish, futuristic, and totally underappreciated. Oh, Let's change that. Do it, I'll dig through the Odyssey 2 library, introduce you to each game, offer a few of my own expanded memories of playing them both then and now, and we'll see if those games hold up today. Amazing. I'm Earl Green, and this is Select Game. <laughs> if you're listening to this, then you survived 2020. Welcome back to Select Game, the expanded memories of the Odyssey 2 podcast from thelogbook.com. How you doing? We have another short one today, as I'm not quite ready for prime time yet, which I will explain later. But first, let's talk about a new look for the Odyssey 2. Perhaps more than any other console out there, the Odyssey 2 has a look to its products. Virtually every other console in the late 70s and early 80s had some third-party software, so there is not a homogenous look to, say, the Atari 2600 library or the Intellivision library, and even, the, even within Atari's first-party titles, a variety of artists with wildly different styles were employed. So even within Atari's first-party titles, you don't exactly have a homogenous look. Over time, both of them significantly changed the look of their own first-party software packaging. But not the Odyssey 2. It always had that very 70s font and the Vanishing Point text logo, always accompanied by a very distinctive artwork style, because nearly all of it originated from an advertising agency called Bradford & Coote. There's a very specific look to Odyssey 2 artwork. Homebrews have tried to match that with wildly varying degrees of success. Some of my own artwork has strayed quite a bit from that look, especially if it was hand-drawn, and I'd find myself trying to steer it back toward that semi-trippy 70s style once I scanned the artwork into a computer to do the coloring. I'd say probably my favorite cover artwork that I've done myself was for Rene Van Den Enden's calculator. That seemed to be the most Odyssey 2-like, the closest to the very 70s artwork style that I've ever gotten. I was pretty happy with it. But a long time ago, I tried to completely change the look of Odyssey 2 and Video Pack homebrew releases. I created a new template for the Odyssey 2 and Video Pack cover designs, and I pitched really hard. As I remember, I, uh, I pitched this idea on the videopack.nl forums, I believe, to see if homebrew publishers would adopt something new. I had completely forgotten that I did this until I was doing some hard drive house cleaning and rediscovered all of this stuff that I had done. To offer a little context for this, I do actually design retail product packaging for a living, just not in the video game industry. So nothing of mine ever showed up in software, etc., but you might have seen some packaging that I designed at Lowe's or Home Depot. So a pretty good chunk of my brain is geared toward finding a look that will sell product. In the end, only one title, Impossible Mission, came out with my new Odyssey 2 video pack look, and then nothing else. So, what was it like? This new look had a kind of asymmetrical frame running around the entire cover, which the artwork would have to fit within that frame. The same frame appears on the front and back of the box, assuming there is a box and not just a manual, and one side's frame says Odyssey 2 and the other side says Video Pack. So right there you have a fix for one of the 
big stumbling blocks of Odyssey 2 Homebrew, because the original Odyssey 2 look and the original video pack look are quite different. Very seldom did the same games even have the same artwork, or even necessarily the same title. The asymmetrical frame also had a place to denote what kind of game it was. Challenger series? Educational? Sports? It was even a Lost Treasure series icon for releases of previously unreleased prototypes. The font used on everything on this cover design, by the way, was Serpentine Bold, which Philips was actually using for Odyssey 2 advertising toward the end of the system's lifespan as a current product. This was where I was trying to honor what seemed to be the build-up toward a style change that never got fully implemented in the 80s. But in the end, this new design that I cooked up was probably too much of a radical change. Odyssey 2 fans are very attached to the Vanishing Point logo, the black background, and the Helvetica block lettering. I mean, I am too. I've learned to mimic that fairly closely, as the Logbook's Patreon patrons can attest whenever they get a new show notes PDF booklet for this podcast. The Odyssey 2 look, and to some extent the video pack look, evoke a time and a place for a lot of people around my age who grew up with the Odyssey 2 or their region's variation of the Odyssey 2 console. It's sort of like how attached Star Wars fans are to the double chrome racetrack packaging of old Kenner Star Wars action figures. You can't change the past, and sometimes you can't even convince anyone to imagine a different future. I once came up with a similar alternative packaging scheme for Atari 2600 homebrews, but seeing how my attempt to redefine the look of the Odyssey 2 went down, I decided, eh, I'll keep it to myself. Just another graphic designer keeping his skills sharp during downtime. Will someone else ever devise a new Odyssey 2 and video pack look that everyone can agree on? Or are we sticking with that lovely, yet oh-so-70s vanishing point? Only time will tell. But now, here's something new for Select Game. A commercial break. Ashley Thomas is the nerdy blogger. Ashley has a master's degree in literature and language, as well as a decade's worth of experience in writing for web publications. If you're looking for someone to assist you with copy for your website, blog posts, email campaigns, web store, social media management, or assistance with search engine optimization, Ashley's your gal. Ashley also spends her time writing about film, television, and comic books, contributing to such sites as Fangirlish.com and PopCultureRetroRama.com. You can learn more about Ashley and the work she does at nerdyblogging.wordpress.com, where you can contact her for more information about her writing services. The Nerdy Blogger is proud to be a supporter of thelogbook.com and its podcasts. As for the state of the podcast in general, I have securely moved into better quarters. I like it here. I'm on the hunt for a VCR. Do you know how hard it is to find a VCR right now? And I don't even care if the tape mechanism works or not. I just need it to pass signal. But we're racing toward the video cassette recorder being, at best, a technology that's been in declining use for at least 20 years, if not 30. It's like being in 1997 looking for an 8-track tape player. Who the hell still has one of those? Also, just a heads up, I am on a new podcast but it's not from thelogbook.com. 
As some of you listening are aware, I've been doing behind-the-scenes production work on podcasts for Roddenberry Entertainment since the beginning of 2019. As of January of this year, I'm a writer, producer, and occasional voice talent on a brand new podcast from Roddenberry called Sci-Fi 5. It's a five-minute single-topic dose of science fiction history every weekday, and those who have heard it and have an interest in the subject matter really seem to be digging it so far, so we're very happy with that. It's a blast to work on. I will include a link to it in the show notes for this podcast, or you can just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Anyway, as soon as I can snag a VCR or an RF demodulator, which really is the function that I need a VCR to fulfill, though the paradox is that an RF demodulator alone, without the rest of the VCR around it, will run you something like 80 bucks. last I checked. But, you know, I'd be happy with a used 10 buck VCR. So as soon as I can get one, we will get back to playing some games on this show because there's a lot of the original library to cover. I've got that wonderful multi-cart from packratvg.com, and I just picked up KC's Escape from gooddealgames.com, so definitely need to play that. And we'll see what happens. Until then, let me know what you think. Should modern homebrew publishers try to set a new look for classic games, or stick with what they looked like way back when? Select Game was researched, written, and hosted by Earl Green. The show's theme music is composed and performed by Toledo Fusion and licensed under Creative Commons. You can find their work at freemusicarchive.org. 2021 is upon us, and you could join the ranks of the Logbook.com's Patreon supporters. Even if you can only pitch in a little bit, even that little bit helps keep the logbook.com and its podcast and video casts going. You can be like Kevin and Ferg and Darwin and Cindy and Paul and Mark and Charles and Ashley and sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash the logbook. If ongoing pledges of support aren't your thing, pour us a coffee. That's ko-fi.com slash the logbook and make a one-time donation. You can also support the site by buying t-shirts, mugs, and even non-medical-grade face masks and other goodies from our store at thelogbook.redbubble.com. And if you need to catch up on Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, and Star Trek Lower Decks, or, you know, all the other Star Trek series and movies, and anything else on CBS All Access, you can sign up for a free week through the links on our site. Select Game is a production of thelogbook.com.